0: Testament reading this morning is from three different passages (laughs) Romans, Philippians, and Hebrews. The Spirit Himself testifies with our Spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Portion of the Apostles' Creed this morning. And up to the first point of confessing the Apostles' Creed, having done this, you might think it was describing this ideal, pristine world, because it's spoken of a God who creates the world, then enters the world through the womb of a woman. And so far, at least up to that point in the Creed, there isn't even a suggestion that there is anything wrong. And in fact, the creed makes no mention of things like the fall of humanity, or original sin, or a wrecked world. But then as we go on confessing the creed, we hear ourselves confessing the word suffer. Like putting our hand on a hot stove, we are snapped to an awareness that all is not well. Maybe we already knew that from experience, didn't we? God comes into the world in the person of Jesus and God is met with violent resistance. Theologian Ben Myers puts it like this. The loving creator of the world has been cast out. The judge of the earth has come among us and we have judged him and put him on death row and then the gallows. Or to put it like the apostle John puts it in his gospel. He came unto his own and his own Received him not. Talk about understatement. One main criticism of the Apostles' Creed is that it seems incomplete. John Calvin, of all people, said this, that it seems to contain no account of the life in the ministry of Jesus. And maybe you've actually thought that as you've said it as well. But the reading of the Gospels, and I mean the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have always been central to the life of the Christian community. And so the Creed is... Never intended as a substitute for the four Gospels, but only as a a, a map, a a guardrail, even a cane or a flashlight to guide in the faithful reading of the Gospels. So whenever we read Jesus' story, for example, in the Gospels, we're to keep in mind that he was, this is the important stuff, he was born of a woman. That he was a flesh and blood human being. And that even for all of the truths of our doctrines and our confessions that we confess, that we read, that we believe, the Christian faith is about trust in a real human. It is an encounter with a living person. So when we read Jesus' story, we are reminded that Jesus wasn't just another human being, but was God's only son, the living person self-expression of God's will. So that's what the creed offers, a general guideline for the faithful reading of the Gospels. Here's the thing. It's not really quite right that the creed just ignores everything that happens between Jesus' birth and death. So you heard it here first, Calvin was wrong. In fact, already among the earliest Christians, it had become customary to sum up Jesus' whole life under one word, suffering. And we can already see that in the Gospels themselves. Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, whenever he's doing this walking Bible study after his resurrection on the road to Emmaus, says, was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things? And then in the book of Acts, Paul is uh, preaching at Thessalonica and he summed up Jesus' life in the same way. It was necessary for the Messiah to suffer. So by the time of the later New Testament writings, the word suffering has become almost a formula for referring to the whole story of Jesus' life and death. As we heard Twyla read in Hebrews chapter 2, he suffered. This outline of Jesus' story in the Creed is a tribe. And true safeguard against certain misreadings of Jesus and certain misreadings of the faith. So when, for example, the ancient Christians heard the gospel, the good news, they were tempted to think of Jesus as a supernatural spirit, untouched by physical life. And that's why you ended up having things like icons and statues, because they wanted to uh, be reminded that there was something concrete and tactile about the existence of Jesus And so, but especially it was important for them to be reminded that Jesus was a human Lord who, as Peter puts it in his uh, first letter, he suffered in the flesh, in his body. But that was ancient Christians. Christians today, us, we are more tempted by the allure of, of, of triumphalistic faith or a distorted gospel that often promises worldly satisfactions, and success. In fact, at least in America, usually among the evangelical churches, it seems to be the predominant temptation that faith in Christ goes hand in hand with being a winner, triumphant, successful, polished, having your stuff together, literally and figuratively. And that's why we're more likely to name our churches things like Victory Church, Celebration Church, Resurrection than Suffering Servant Presbyterian Church or Man of Sorrows Reformed Church. (laughs) And often so much of what we call discipleship is just management of goals that are oriented towards achievement and success in things like parenting and marriage, ordering our time and our money, finding a right work-life balance, all those are fine and good enough Into a life of a suffering Lord who lays on his followers a cross, not a crown, but a cross. Yes, we have been raised with Christ, but also we have been crucified with him too. We will share in Christ's glory, as we heard in Romans 8, but only to the extent that we also share in his sufferings. Our life will be cruciform. It will be cross-shaped, sewn through with a thread of suffering. What does suffering look like for us? I mean, maybe you're sitting there thinking, I don't know that I suffer. I don't feel like I suffer. I'm actually fairly comfortable. The early church and some Christians today experience the suffering of persecution in things like not actually being allowed to talk about their faith, gather for worship. Uh, Some of them are charged or have to pay extra taxes as a minority group. And even in some extreme circumstances, they are imprisoned or experience physical harm, or even death. When I had just graduated college in the early 90s, I had the privilege of uh, church planting in the Ukraine. And communism had fallen, the wall had opened metaphorically. and Literally, people were able to go into places we formerly didn't have access. And many of the Christians that I met there and served there with and and, and worshipped with, had grown up, or actually all of them had grown up under communism, and their experience had been that because they were Christians, they had been restricted in job and educational opportunities. They weren't allowed to go to college because why would you send a stupid person to college? Because stupid people believe in things like a resurrected Jew is God, things like that. And they often had spies, real spies, come into their meetings and disrupt their worship if they were able to worship. And so they were poor. They were literally restricted in their freedoms. They were treated with scorn by their neighbors. Truly and really. And we, we actually don't have much of a thing like that in our experience here in Oregon or in America. And Peter, in his own letter, when he's talking about suffering, makes clear that if you suffer as a murderer, for example, or as a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler, well, that's not suffering in Christ. That's actually just justice, right? You're just getting what you deserve. And I do want you to know that last thing that I mentioned, and Peter mentions this too, uh, meddling, suffering for meddling, stirring up trouble, provoking others and having to come back on you. So, for example, um, if you fuss about persecution because others simply want you to be a good neighbor, And then they notice that you're only being a selfish jerk and someone who invokes Jesus as a part of being a selfish jerk and they dismiss you. That's not persecution. Here's this though, because some of us might think the Christian life is supposed to be victorious or kind of easy. We arrive once we go to Christ. Or this might be more of you think that you're unfaithful or that God is judging you because of distress and suffering in your life. You think that God is not close to you. That He has turned from you as evidenced by trouble and sorrows in your life. I want you to listen. Scripture and the witness of the church doesn't limit Christian suffering to just the extreme forms that I've talked about that some of my friends in Ukraine experience. But as we find ourselves united into Jesus, all All aspects of brokenness and sin in the world, both personal and structural, that affect us and stains God's good good, good world and impact us and grieve us and tear at us, all of those are a part of sharing in what Paul calls filling up and sharing in Christ's afflictions. That is suffering. So when as Christians we experience and feel the pain and wreckage of fallenness in the world and we feel it personally, that too is suffering. Suffering is a concrete experience of seeing how human brokenness and sin reveals that the world that we live in, good as it is, is not the way that it's supposed to be. Let me lean into that a little bit more as we think about suffering and our experience, our existence in Christ. What are some ways that suffering might impact you? You might have a boss who does not want you to succeed or progress in your work. And what is supposed to be an avenue of joy and meaning for you, your work feels like a cycle of frustration and emptiness that Christian is one experience of suffering. Maybe you have a spouse or a child or a friend who once thought you Because in your body and in your mind, you feel these very things happening to you, maybe for years. But unlike the healings by Jesus in the Gospels, your struggle finds some relief, but not often enough. That is suffering. Speaking of Jesus, maybe you live day after day on that line, that very thin line between in doubt, and it feels just as plausible to you to believe as to not believe. To trust Christ is to not trust Christ. Calvin's actually right about that. That is a kind of suffering. Or maybe you're here this morning and you feel like a misfit in life because you're a Christian, but also because of how God has made you personally has made you as a social being, and it doesn't feel like there is a person or people for you, and you're just wondering when am I going to come someone. That is a kind of suffering too. That's one that Jesus especially felt. Or maybe there's someone close to you who has died and you were not able to see them, to be close to them, to comfort them. And the loop on that story was never closed. It just abruptly ended. There's a longing and a sadness. That is suffering. Or you have ongoing temptation to sin. Whether it is Anger or lust or envy, and it just gets so old. The thing that you want to do, which is righteous, you struggle to do, the thing that you resist feels so much easier and even natural to do. Here's what's key for you to know. And the list goes on, doesn't it? Your suffering is your own. Your story, your experience is real and is unique. Please don't minimize or relativize it by comparison to others or even by invoking a grim, distant, austere picture of God who just wants you to get your stuff together. That God doesn't exist. Instead, see your life set within the purposes and the very life of Jesus Christ, the experiences of Christ who we are crucified with. And we are crucified with Him. Yes, the last word in our story is resurrection, which we also experience now by the Holy Spirit. But suffering for the Christian is not something that is strange, and it is not something that is a judgment on you or a referendum on your faithfulness or on God's love for you as His child. In a mystery that's deep, too deep for words, maybe too deep Sermon, but goes to the heart of God's work in the world. Suffering, while it is not good in itself, is used by the Lord, according to Peter, for glory, is used for, according to Paul, endurance. And somehow it even gives us purchase on knowledge of God Himself. Because somehow, some way in Christ, that is what God has experienced. The theologian Catherine Tanner from Yale writes this, that the world is perfected by being brought into closer relations with the God who perfects it. In union with God and being brought near to God, all the trials and sorrows of life, suffering, loss, moral failing, the oppressive stunting of opportunities and vitality, grief, worry, tribulation, and strife are purified, remedied, and reworked through the gifts Of God's grace. So, those of you here this morning who know this trial, know this pain, know this suffering, do not lose hope. You are shared in Christ's life, in his purposes now, in these things. Have you all watched Ted Lasso? Alright, maybe have maybe haven't. I know it was real cool last year, and now it's cool to kind of hate on Ted last year. End of season one. Ted's a soccer coach for an English Premier team. They lose an important game, and they're sad. And he has this quote. He says, there's something worse out there than being sad, and that's being alone and being sad. And for the Christian, there's something worse than suffering. Suffering alone. And that's something that the Bible doesn't countenance. All of us, we should remember this because Scripture teaches that no Christian should feel or be alone in their sorrow. Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 12: if one member suffers, we all suffer together. We are brought together as a community, the body of Christ to bear one another's burdens together carry each other's weight and to encourage one another in the very grind of Christian existence. More often than not, it means not words, but presence. And I don't mean gifts, I mean being with them, or at least the gift of yourself, doing something for them, weeping with those who weep, listening with a holy attention, turning their head and face to Christ in whom there is hope and meaning even more it seems meaningless. I think one of the big questions we struggle with as a community, and I'm going to land the plane here, is what do I do as a Christian? What is the right thing to do? When do I do it? there's a lot of wisdom questions tied tie in, but I think that there's a couple of questions and it especially ties in with this that I think give us the, the foundation for thinking through what do I do? These are questions that we ask ourselves as we're moving in to serve others. First one is this. Am I laying down my power, my life, so that someone else can find a power in a life that they don't already have? That's Christmas. That's what we celebrate, the incarnation. That God laid down what He had so He could be with us. He could redeem us. Am I showing up for my brothers and sisters to help carry their suffering? Put it another way, am I playing the part of the crucified Christ entering into their need even as God and Christ entered into our need? Or am I demanding that someone else lay down their life, suffer alone, have to hear bad theology on top of their brains? Am I on the sidelines, watching, playing the part of We have the choice and the power given to us today in Christ, in Scripture. In a few moments, we get to consummate that in this holy meal in the Eucharist where we receive one who has given us his ideas, not just his teachings, but his body which was broken for us, his blood which was shed. Our communion, our covenant is based on his suffering that binds us together we enter into it and can share it in a way that transcends it. Let's pray. Lord, in your mercy, we do ask for and need your help to get through this life and not just to get through it, just to gut through it, but in such a way that we know you and experience you and share in your life and your power. For the sake of others and even receiving care from others in our suffering. Help us to believe that and receive it. Pray this in the name of Father Son.